Thank you for downloading the IA podcast. You can listen to all our episodes on Podbean, Spotify, Apple, and YouTube. Enjoy. Listeners of the IA podcast may remember that I spoke to Anna Powell-Smith, Technical Director at the University of Oxford's Data Lab, in an episode back in January. The topic of discussion was the Subsidy Control Bill, specifically how data can revolutionise public policy by preventing waste and corruption by reporting data more efficiently. Since then, the Institute of Economic Affairs has produced its own research on the Subsidy Control Bill, looking at how the UK's new subsidy scheme, which replaces the EU state aid rules, could make it harder to identify, scrutinise and contest state subsidies. I'm here with the author of the briefing paper, Head of Public Policy at the the IEA, Matthew Lesh, to discuss the paper and what the bill means for the economy and, importantly, accountability. Welcome, Matthew. Um, First of all, Matt, could you explain to our listeners what subsidies are and why the UK needs a new subsidy regime? Well, I mean, a subsidy is any kind of benefit the government gives to a a private organisation. So we're talking about things like grants or tax reductions, if they give them favourable loans or even any kind of in-kind benefit. Uh, For example, a subsidy you might not perceive necessarily be a subsidy, uh, for example, could be something like uh, Transport for London letting black cabs use taxi lanes but not letting Addison Lee, uh, as was a a famous um, uh, state aid case. So the reason why the UK has now got a new subsidy regime and the reason why this this is going through Parliament is because of our exit from the European Union. Previously, uh, as it was called in the EU world, state aid was a responsibility of the EU, the European Commission, and we followed rules that were were given to us. We now have the freedom to diverge uh, and um, as long as consistent with our agreement with the EU and our international equipments, we can now have our own system, our own operating operation of a subsidy regime. Um, So now we've got a bit of context. Could you briefly explain the key points of the perfect Euros? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, so, so the, the UK has decided that it is going to, and as part of, again, part of our trading cooperation agreement with the EU, follow a set of principles when it comes to what we can and cannot subsidise. Um, and that's pretty consistent with this, the principles that we um, followed when we were a member of the EU. So things like subsidies have to benefit wider society, they have to contribute to a public policy objective, they have to be proportionate and necessary. Um there's also a new prohibition in our subsidy regime about um, not attempting to have a subsidy race between different parts of, of the country. So um, uh, Cardiff can't try to give a, a millions of pounds to Google to tell them to set up their headquarters there as opposed to London. But at the same time, what the UK has decided to do is diverge in respect to the way that we re- require local authorities to go through a, a process or any kind of public authority to go through a process. So under the EU rules, the default was all subsidies are blocked and you have to seek permission for the European Commission in order to um, uh, subsidise a, a business. Um, under the new UK rules, the UK government will be able to provide a subsidy um, or any kind of public authority will be able to provide a subsidy as long as they, they approve kind of internally within themselves that they believe it follows the principles. So they won't have a, they, they can seek advice from the Competition Markets Authority, but ultimately they can make a determination themselves. They have the, their own ability. It's kind of decentralised it. Now, that practically means that it's actually going to be much easier to, to give out a subsidy because they're not going to necessarily have to go through a central authority to do so. 
Um, yeah, so the bill, like you say, replicates some of the EU state-aid rules with the principles. But like you say, the key difference is that subsidies will be allowed to go, will be uh, given without going through a pre-approval process. But the argument is that the government have made anyway, um, is this is good for cutting down bureaucracy, right? <laughs> I mean, I, I suppose you can look at bureaucracy in two ways. So one way in which if the government was cutting red tape on businesses and reducing bureaucracy and burdens on the ability of us as individuals to operate, I think that would be an, an uncritically good thing. What they're doing here, though, is they're reducing restrictions on the ability of government, as in their kind of internal processes, um, which they've called red tape, but are really just kind of an internal checks and balances process about what the government can give money to private businesses. So they're making it easier in a way, even if they have to follow the same principles, uh, less administratively difficult in order to hand out those subsidies. Now, I personally, um, maybe maybe this is just my own little bias here, which is I don't think subsidies are particularly great. I think the government should actually have a lot of restrictions in terms of the amount of money they can give out. And I don't think it should be, it should be in a sense, difficult as possible as a matter of principle for the government to hand out subsidies. So I would say on balance, it's probably a bad thing that the government under this new regime is reducing red tape on itself. I, I prefer it would be as difficult as possible for them to subsidise their um, chosen businesses or chosen industries um, and, and therefore I, I wouldn't say this is a free market victory in the way um, that you might initially hear something like a red tape reduction as being a good thing. Yeah, we'll get on to the, uh, the nitty gritty of subsidies in a bit. Um, but the one major issue that you highlight is that uh, in the bill is transparency. Um, could you explain to our listeners why the bill as it stands fails to offer transparency? I think the key thing is here is that subsidies over £500,000 are not going to re be reported, essentially. Yeah, that, that, that's absolutely right. I mean, the, the key point here is if you're going to move from a process in which you, um, under the EU rules, you have to check centrally for whether or not a subsidy is acceptable within the rules, and then you move to the, the new UK system in which a public authority can self-declare, what you then need is backup accountability mechanisms. So that's where transparency comes in. It's the ability, and this is designed into the subsidy regime, is it's the ability of, if you're a business that might be impacted by a, a competitor getting a subsidy, that you can, you can contest that and say, actually, that's unfair. That's against the rules. That's not consistent with the principles of the subsidy control regime. But of course, you can only contest a subsidy if you know about a subsidy and you have to be transparent about it. So the government is creating a, a database that, you know, the EU or set a database um, in which we, they will disclose subsidies. But the rules in which you, they will have to disclose subsidies are relatively limited. So under the EU rules, it was anything over 500 thousand euros it's about four hundred fifteen thousand pounds the uk is now increasing that to five hundred thousand pounds so it's a bit of an increase so a lot of things um won't be disclosed and that's within a scheme so it's a, a scheme is uh, basically a, a set group of subsidies the government's intending to give out alternatively it, it the threshold is even um lower if it's uh subsidies to um businesses uh, individually. So up to £315,000 over three years, um, they, they won't have to disclose um, any of those subsidies that they've given them. Um, I think that's quite concerning from the, the transparency perspective, and that's something with the, the, the um, briefing really highlights as this bill is currently going through Parliament. Is a, a reasonable amendment would be to say, okay, well, even if you accept the principles on which the government is stating and the new system of subsidies, at the very least, as taxpayers, we should have every right to know about the way our money is being spent. And in order for the, the system to function properly in its own terms, you need to disclose the nature and the, the, the amount of the subsidies that they're providing. Yeah, and I think the figure that was included in the paper was 4 billion could go unaccounted for. 
Yes, uh, that, that's the, the Centre for, for Public Data estimated that the way they determined that was they looked at all the subsidies that are currently disclosed I think, under the current rules and worked out about 50%. There's about 8 billion subsidies a year, only 4 billion of those are disclosed. So then that means 4 billion aren't disclosed and the government's intending to increase subsidies as kind of their stated intention as part of their levelling up agenda, as part of their science and tech agenda. They, they want to give out more money. They want to make it slightly easier to do it under processes and then they want to make it more difficult to disclose it. So I think that's probably a toxic mix there together. So it's at least uh, probably more than 4 billion that will go undisclosed of state spending on subsidies, giving money to businesses, whoever the, the government, whatever the public authority, be it the council or the, the, the agency or the, um, the the central government itself or a devolved government like Scotland, Wales, mm-hmm. Northern Ireland, whatever money they're spending, whoever it may be, they won't have to disclose huge amounts of money that they're giving to private enterprises. So what improvements could be made to the bill to prevent this waste of corruption? How much should be reported? You know, is it every penny? Uh, I, mean, I, think some, I think it was Anna Powell-Smith who said um, reporting everything above £500 would be a sensible thing to do. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't see a reason why not just disclose everything. I mean, £500, 500 pounds would certainly be better than £500,000. I mean, but the government's own estimates in their, in their um, investigation of this, how much they think it's going to cost, very little is the answer, something like £20,000 a year. And the reason for that is because if you're a public authority, you already need to take account of every subsidy that's given out. You already have to have an Excel document or an internal database system in order to handle the the, in, the knowledge and the information. So why not just press the next button and, and upload all that information you need to have anyway? It's it's not a huge administrative burden. And I think that the benefits are, are quite broad um, in terms of things like encouraging people to follow the subsidy rules, making it easier for businesses to identify um, and challenge problematic subsidies, increasing civil society, something like, you know, the IEA could do a research project, you know, investigating the way the government's using our money um, it would also discourage public authorities from inappropriate behaviour. There is always a risk in any subsidy regime that you know the person in charge will give money to somebody who is their, their friend, their mate. And there's been a lot of concerns about this around COVID loans, um, either justified or not justified, around PPE, all that kind of stuff. And the, the very least the government can do is disclose it because that discourages the, the problematic behaviour and it means that if there is problematic behaviour, we can identify it. Yeah, absolutely. And there's lots of examples. That I won't go down that, but... Um, for listeners, I mean, Anna Powell-Smith did, did come on to the IA podcast and she did explain a lot that, I mean, especially since COVID, a lot of data sharing has been going on. It is more efficient. It is better to, to show that data now. Um, I want to go on to subsidies themselves because they do appeal to the public. You know, they're seen as a, a thing to protect industry and preserve jobs. Um, but there is a problem with choosing winners in the economy or shield, shielding them from failure. Um, can you explain why subsidies themselves, I mean, we we touched on this at the beginning slightly, but just to finish off, why choosing winners is not a positive thing for the economy. Well, I mean, you can effectively have two ways you can operate an economy. You can have an economy in which we, as millions and millions of people, billions of people, choose what companies we want to support through the products we purchase. We send signals about, you know, how to, the classic economic question, how do you allocate the the limited, um, you know, resources we have in society in the most efficient way possible? And my view is that should be on the basis of, I I, I demand, I I buy a, a bread and that tells uh, the, the supplies of grain about how they should allocate that and that is a, 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 the ultimate democratic system in which everyone has the ability to vote about the products they want and what they want to buy. The alternative to that is a very command and control system in which the state is choosing which suppliers, um, which companies, which activities should be supported. Now that may be justified in certain cases. I mean, you know, in the case of defence, for example, the government, you know, f- it, there might not be enough defence spending naturally in the economy and therefore they need to spend money in another way. But when it comes to subsidising private business, I think we should be extremely concerned 
concern because there's um, first of all we're losing that democratic choice. You, you know, we having to pay for somebody else to decide how money is spent, and that means they're worth spending that money. But what it does is it keeps alive unproductive businesses that can't naturally function that, that that can't provide persuade enough consumers to buy their products um, and therefore are going hand in hand to the government and um, that prevents those workers and those people involved um, and that capital from being used in other purposes um you know in the, the i always think about the australian car industry that the government was subsidizing for such a long time and that was deeply inefficient and you just had this constant effect where you're you're telling these kids go work in the car industry because there's somebody's willing to hire them and it seems like a, a you know not nice intelligent thing to do but you're effectively selling them into why because australia just couldn't efficiently produce cars and the same sense if you think about you know coal in the uk historically if you the extent to which you subsidize coal you're telling kids to go work in coal, the coal industry when you want them to to get better higher paid um, more productive skills and 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 improve their lot over time and um, then there's loads of other kind of economic issues here it encourages rent seeking by businesses so businesses will spend their time trying to seek government handouts rather than being creative and productive and creating better products um, and overall there's there's just limited evidence that subsidizing business will have a kind of a positive economic impact um, time and time again we, we see that governments that do a lot of subsidies end up making their economies less efficient um, and end up hurting people at broad, at large so as as a basic premise we should be trying to subsidize businesses as as little as possible and only when absolutely necessary um, and be restricting that and i think that's that's the, the right approach to take well unfortunately that's all we've got time for but thank you to matthew lesh head of public policy at the institute of economic affairs for explaining his paper today a link to the paper is included in the show notes thank you for listening if you like what you heard please subscribe to the IA podcast on Podbean, Spotify or Apple. We also upload our podcast on our YouTube channel, IA London. If you want to help contribute to the IA's digital output, please support us on Patreon, where you can benefit from exclusive membership perks whilst helping us continue to produce stimulating educational output. To become an online patron, click the link in the show notes.